The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 121 for the week of June 17th. Uh, Alex, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, Rob. Um, are you planning to go do something with your kids? Beat them? Uh, you know, take, take um, advantage of the dispensation. We get a dispensation I, today, right? I, we do. We do. Anything you want to do today, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to ignore my kids today. Which is my right as a father. <laughs> I like it. I mean, that's that's everyday standard. So that's well, good stuff, right? Yeah. But today it's okay because yeah. I get a dispensation. So uh, you know, it's been it's actually been two weeks since our last podcast. We we planned to record uh, the the keynote for RMISC and run it last week. We had a little technical issues, right? We did. So the uh, the company that recorded it for us, um, you know, interesting IT uh, situation. I think someone you know pulled the USB drive before. Uh, Docking it from the computer, and so the file got corrupted, and it took a little while for them to recover it's that. The first time in the history of humanity that that's actually caused a problem. Right, I like yeah. it. Uh, so, we, good news is they were able to to get it restored. We're going to have it as the feature interview this week, but we didn't want to miss two weeks worth of news, so we're going to jump in and actually do a newscast here. Let's do it. We have a Slack channel. We do. Uh, I think we're we're almost at a thousand people now at nine eighty or something like that. I think we got a little, little bump from yeah. RMISC, some people yeah. hearing about the the Slack channel. So yeah, almost lots up of there. good conversation. I've been struggling to keep on top of everything going on there. Uh, come come get to co- talk to the local folks in the community, get to meet some people, maybe find a new job that way. We also have a mailing list, so if you want to stay up to date on everything that is Colorado Equal Security and get the show notes in your email, sign up for the mailing list at Colorado-Security.com. That's where you find the the link to join the Slack channel as well. Uh, we'd love it if you would rate us and review us on your favorite podcast listener, um, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Sound SoundCloud. What's the other one we just got? Uh, it's not Spotify. Spotify, yeah. Yeah. So go out onto any of those, rate us and review us, say nice things, help help us find new folks. Um, we'd also love it if you would tell a friend about the podcast. If you like what we're doing, go tell a coworker or a colleague, a random person on the street. I'm sure they'd appreciate the tip. And if you like us so much that you're willing to donate a little money to the cause, we do have a Patreon campaign. Any money that you donate to that goes right into the podcast, um, hosting fees, swag, all that kind of stuff, everything to promote Colorado Equals Security. So you can, again, find that at colorado-security.com. And we actually have a big thanks to, sh- to shout out to a new patron this week. Um, Jason Jakes has, has joined as a sponsor. Thank you so much for your, your support, Jason. Uh, since you sponsored us at a, a higher level, you'll get not only the shout out on the show, but you'll get some awesome Colorado Equal Security swag. Indeed. All right, let's jump into the news. Oh, wait, before we do that, one more announcement. Uh, the Colorado Equals Security salary survey is still open. We're looking for input there to try and get a um, survey of the landscape for uh, security salaries in Colorado. So go ahead and uh, check that out. There is a link on the website as well. It's also in the show notes. Uh, and if you fill out the survey, you get the results of the survey. Um, so it's you know we try and incentivize the right behavior. So Rob, uh, do you like leprechauns? Um, I love leprechauns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know there is a an island off of Ireland that uh, is inviting you to move there. I am so excited. So I, I'm sure I've told you that. Uh, well, seven years ago, I went to Ireland for an anniversary trip with my wife, and I fell in love with Ireland. I would love to move there, but my biggest question is, do they have broadband internet? Because it'd be hard for me to work remotely if they don't. Not only do they have broadband internet, but they have high speed 
broadband internet, Rob. So this is the island of Aranmore, um, and they have actually been putting out kind of a, a media a PR blitz to try and get Americans and Australians to move out there because they've been losing a lot of population. They have, yes. So this island is, I think they said three miles off of the, the mainland, and they're, uh, they're continually losing population. They want to have people there. Now they said, um, you know, it, it's quaint. There's some there's stuff to do, but there's high-speed internet. So if you can work remotely, hey, come move here. So if, if any of you decide that Colorado is not for you and you want a, a little bit slower-paced life, move to Aaron hey. Moore, and please send me an invitation. I will come visit you. I see an opportunity, Rob. Aaron Moore equals security. I love it. We could move the podcast out there. I think we could get a higher percentage of the population out there than we do in Colorado. 100% coverage. <laughs> All right. Uh, next story we have is uh, is an article in the Denver Post around the Colorado cities that have the most breweries per capita. What, there are breweries here? I, there, I hadn't noticed. There are breweries, and we have data. So this is not just compared to uh, uh, cities in Colorado, but really they're doing a national comparison to let us know. Um, and, and we actually had, was it four? Five. Uh, five, five cities in the that made 20. the top 20 nationally. Yeah. yeah, Boulder came in at number four with 14 breweries per 50,000 residents. Fort Collins was next with 11. Um, sorry, they were 11 with eight breweries per 50,000. Loveland was number 12 with seven per 50,000. And Denver and Longmont tied uh, at six breweries per 50,000 residents. So the number one uh, largest or best ratio is in Portland, Maine. So if you really like your booze, maybe you want to move up to the great Northeast. I think that that would be a good idea. Uh, Red Robin is uh, trying to decide what to do with some activist investors. So Red Robin, as you may have heard previously, has been struggling a little bit. Uh, their same store sales have been continually going down. Uh, they've been they've had a plan to increase uh, their revenue through things like catering and and other um, offsite activities. Uh, but these activist investors are not particularly happy with how things have been going. The CEO recently left, and they're they want. Uh, Red Robin to think about all the possibilities they, they could uh, do, including uh, selling. Um, so hopefully they, they come out of this well. You know, obviously it's nice to have a, a, a national brand headquartered here locally that's, that's thriving and, and given good jobs in the area. So hopefully, I don't know what the right thing is to root for in terms of this investor, but I hope it, hope it turns out, hope turn things around either yeah, way. I hope one of those things is a good option. Uh, next, we have a story from the Colorado Sun where Governor Polis has been trying to lure a, the national was it the National Medal of Honor Museum to Denver, um, and he's also working to try and get Space Command here. Which you know, I know we've had a lot of conversations about some temporary appointments for Space Command in Colorado. He's trying to get the the long term uh, base to be here. Yeah. So uh, the National Medal of Honor Museum, um, they're looking at a potential site near the state capitol, which would be pretty cool. Um, and then also talking about um, a number of different sites for uh, Space Command. I think uh, Buckley, I think uh, Peterson in Colorado Springs, as yeah. well as a few others. Well, hopefully uh, he's successful and we can have some of those great security jobs that I'm sure would come with both of those opportunities. Well, maybe more at Space Command. Yeah, we definitely need to secure space, Rob. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, Galvanize is announcing that they are laying some folks off, uh, 27 people across their uh, employee base and that 10 of those people are here in Colorado uh, the other 17 are across five, five other states so probably were the, the largest hit um, you know they, they they give the what kind of generic language you know that this layoff is going to help leadership team have a clearer picture of sustainable path forward for both the pe the students and the employees uh, it, it's an interesting story um, 
it's never good news to say layoffs, right? Yeah. People can come through them better afterwards, but you know, I have no idea what this means for them in terms of their, uh, you know, their profitability and their success. Hopefully it does focus them and makes things better going forward. Next, we have a story from the Denver, Denver Business Journal. Uh, Colorado women execs take on take aim at the gender gap in cybersecurity. And here they're talking with three separate ladies uh, f- from who have security-ish jobs, although you know, I, I'm not sure that all of them are security in what they do, but working for security companies. Um, so Cassie Brubaker, who's a creative director at Circadence, um, they talked with, with Keenan Skelly, the VP of Global Partnerships at Circadence, and Kristen Norfsker, the EVP of Business Operations for Nexus Tech, um, talking about you know what, what makes security attractive and, and really how do we uh, position security to help get females into the industry and keep them there. Yeah, uh, some good perspectives in that article. Uh, next, uh, Denverite had an article this week about uh, the city of Denver's cybersecurity program um, that they surprisingly have a few holes, but you can't know about them because we don't want them to get attacked. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this story is really more for uh, the general public to start to get information around how vulnerability management works. And, you know, they don't use that phrase in the headline, but that's really what this whole thing is about, right? Is knowing what vulnerabilities you have, going after the highest risk ones and, and understanding you can't keep everything patched at once. Uh, I think that most of the world probably thinks it is relatively binary, like keep your system secure or, or not or not. Right. Right. Uh, and that, and of course we know that's not the case. And hopefully this type of an article helps educate on that and, and get the rest of the population to support what we're doing. I thought it was interesting in the article also how they talked about the partnership between the uh, cybersecurity program and the city auditor's office, um, how the auditors were you know, spending money on pen testing, for example, to make sure that the uh, the IT teams were doing what they needed to do. Yeah, good stuff. Um, all right, moving over to some more local company news. Swimlane, we, we talked two weeks ago about how Swimlane re- raised a B round of funding at $23 million. Well, no surprise. Uh, right after that, they've now named three new executives to the team. They've hired um, Jim Hansen as the president and chief operating officer. They hired Tom Smith as the SVP of global sales and Susan Warner as the VP of global marketing. Um, so, so obviously, you know, big investments for them as they're trying to to go from a, a relatively small, you know, company building their their tech to starting to sell it and and have a bigger reach across the world. Yeah, uh, congratulations to those three execs for dividing up that $23 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, $7 million each. Is that how that works? And uh, the other two are left over? I, I don't know how that works. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, next, uh, System76, who we've talked about a few times before on the show. This is a local uh, computer manufacturer. We'd originally talked about them because they were bringing the manufacturing uh, from overseas back here to Colorado. Uh, but they just released their supercharged Linux Gazelle laptop. So this is pretty cool. Has some uh, pretty nice specs on it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a Linux desktop type of a guy, but if I was, I think this might be the the machine I'd want to play whatever amazing games I want to play, or or if you want to do some, um, some Bitcoin mining, maybe. Um, so they have a uh, a ninth generation Intel Core i7 processor, NVIDIA GTX 16 series graphics, and it can do even it can have up to 64 gigs of RAM, which even the MacBook can't support. So they're uh, they're kind of pushing the the specs there. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that the low end starting price for that laptop is only about eleven hundred dollars. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, compared to a MacBook, you, you can't touch that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, next, uh, we have some Ping identity news this week. Uh, Ping released their capabilities framework for zero trust deployments. Yeah, I was. 
I, was, I actually got to be a part of designing and uh, refining this model. You, it's really meant to be a framework for you to think about how do you actually implement zero trust in your organization. Um, the different ways things connect together, it doesn't get into the actual technologies you'd use there. Um, you, you're gonna wanna map your favorite technologies into those different boxes. And yes, of course, Ping does sell some of those, but you could use this framework with whatever technology provider you want to. And it's really just a new way to think about, you know, instead of doing my perimeter base where I have a firewall on the outside and all the apps are inside, here's a way to start doing security at this more zero trust uh, perspective. Uh, next, Rob, do you know anything about ransomware? Well, I didn't until I read this article, which includes everything I needed to know about ransomware in the 2019 edition. Sweet. Uh, so... Uh, Virtual Armor this week had a blog post talking about uh, everything you need to know about ransomware. This is an article actually, um, I think, more focused towards the average folk. Yeah. You know, uh, non-security non-security yeah. people, um, getting them up, you know, up to speed on what ransomware is, how you can prevent against it, what it does, yeah. all those sorts of things. I think if if you may, maybe don't necessarily give this to your mother, but maybe you give this to the uh, to the business people at your company who, who who aren't really familiar with it, but maybe they saw the Baltimore story in the news and want to understand what's going on there. So good article. Uh, next, uh, we're actually done with the news, but we have a kind of a fun announcement. The the Apex Awards, CISO of the Year Award, the nominations are open. So it's time for you to get your, your nomination in for your favorite Colorado CISO um, and send it into the CTA. So one of those people can be recognized in their big event in November as the CISO of the Year. Of course, this is the third year that we are having the CISO of the Year Award uh, at the Apex Awards. Uh, the inaugural inaugural winner was Matt Schufeld, and then last year some other guy won. Uh, we are. It's not only the CISO of the Year that's available for right now for nominations. Uh, CIO of the Year, Project of the Year, Company of the Year, all those things are available. So get your nominations in now. Um, if you need help uh, figuring out who to nominate, reach out to Alex. He is. Uh, He's happy to tell you what to do. He's That's what he's been doing to me for, it's been two plus years. So uh, he's pretty good uh, at it. Thanks, Rob. Uh, also some ISACA news. ISACA International uh, announced their new board and uh, Brennan Baybeck, who is, or, excuse me, who was the uh, president of the ISACA board here in Denver for a number of years, is now the uh, the chairman of the board for uh, ISACA International, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well-earned. He's worked very hard for that organization for a long time. Uh, really respect what Brennan did, not only building up the Denver ISACA chapter, but also he's done a lot of work in international already, uh, even before this appointment. So congratulations to Brennan on that. Uh, next, we have we also have a new Denver ISSA board. Um, so, you know, kind of every two years or every year they'll have a, have an election. Every two years, the president goes out and when the president goes out, we have a new VP coming as well. And, and that's happened here. So James Johnson, who was previously the, the president, has, has moved along. And uh, also our VP, who is Drew Labo, has also moved along. So there's, there's new folks in both of those positions. Um, the president is now Gene McGowan. Congratulations to Gene. Uh, VP is Scott McCandless. Uh, we, Gloria McCubbin is still our treasurer, and she is amazing, and, and we really appreciate Gloria staying on as the ISSA treasurer for Denver. Uh, and membership is Robin Lyons. I don't think I know Robin personally, but uh, excited to have her volunteering and helping with the membership role there. Yeah, great new uh, new partial board for ISSA here in Denver. Looking forward to good things from them. Congratulations on running the biggest chapter in the world. Woo we need to mention that every once in a while. All right, so that's it for news. Uh, let's move over to the Slack message of the week. Of course, we need to thank Andre Gata for sponsoring the Slack message of the week. 
Uh, Andre pays for this out of his own pocket. Whoever the winner is gets a little bit of swag from the Colorado Eagles security store. So thanks again, Andre, for doing that for us. All right. This this week, I assume you picked this guy because he's got such a good name. Uh, he does have a great We're name. We're going with Alex Wise. Alex paste, or posted in the general channel about the new proposed hackback uh, legislation. For It's a national legislation, but it's a really interesting conversation. Um, it actually started an interesting conversation around how you know, how bad or good is it to have this le- law on the books, you know, even if it's not usable, which it might not be from the way it's written. Um, you know, what does it mean for us to, to have that thing written there as a precedent? Yeah, and I think most people in the security industry think that, you know, legalizing hackback is probably a bad thing. Um, yeah. But it is interesting how this debate keeps coming up, and uh, this is not the first time that legislation has been introduced to well, it, potentially uh, make it okay. It lo- see, the, the, the problem is it looks like you're being strong on security by allowing this, right? Uh, whereas, you know, those of us in the industry know, you know, whoever you're hacking back into is probably an innocent victim of the right. same bad guys, right? Right. So it's a, it's a challenging problem to solve. Anyway, congratulations to Alex. You'll get, you'll get a note and the ability to uh, pick something from the swag store. So let's jump over to events. Uh, we've got a number of events to talk about. Uh, the first, the National Cybersecurity Center is having their cyber camp July 15th through 19th, and we have an announcement about that. Yeah, so this is available a camp that's available for kids age or grades 6th through 12th, so going into 6th through 12th grade. Um, it's in Colorado Springs. However, when I reached out to them to find out, do they have any space? They said, yes, we have six slots open, and they're willing to give the first four people from the podcast who sign up free tuition. What? What? Free tuition. That's pretty cool. So it's normally $200 to send your kid to this uh, and learn them how to cyber during a, during a week. Uh, and, and now you can have, if you put in the, the promo code scholarship as you sign up, it's free. That, Get out of here. That is cool. Yeah. So thanks a lot to those guys for doing that for us. Uh, if you're anywhere near the Springs and you have kids in that age, I would highly recommend it. I was like debating, man, is there any way I can get my kids down there to, to attend this thing? The answer is no, I can't. <laughs> but uh, it sounded like it'd be a fun idea if I could. Uh, next, Densec is having their monthly meetup at the Ryan House on the 17th of June. On the 18th, the CSA is doing their June chapter meeting. On the 19th, Let's Get Gamified, a new cyber experience, cybersecurity learning tour. That sounds like fun. Let's get gamified. Let's do it. Uh, ISSA Denver is having an oil and gas special interest group happy hour on the 19th. So hang out with other people who are in or interested in the oil and gas industry. On the 20th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their June special interest group meeting. Uh, On the 24th, the National Cybersecurity Center is doing a Blockchain 102, a case study on Secure the Vote initiative. That sounds like a fun event. On the 25th, the GDPR Meetup Group is meeting to talk about a case study of how to use data privacy as a competitive advantage. That sounds like a good idea, too. Uh, Also on the the 26th, ISE Square Pikes Peak is doing their June chapter meeting. Uh, Also on the 26th, SecureSet is doing a women-only beginner's intro capture the flag. Uh, we have two more events, on the, both on the 28th. We have ISC Squared doing their Secure Summit Denver. This is a full-day event. It's it kinda, is. They're, you know, they're, I think it's a, a, they're doing these in different cities, right? Yeah, sort um, of a traveling tour. Yeah, a traveling tour. Uh, so this is when they come to Denver, and it should be a good chance to meet folks uh, in, the, in the security industry, local and nationally. And then finally on the 28th, uh, the monthly office hours with Davis, Graham, and Stubbs, if you are looking for legal advice for startups. All right, let's move over into jobs. Uh, good news, I have another open opportunity at Ping. So we're hiring, we're hiring three open recs right now. We've got a 
a junior product security engineer, a product security engineer, and a manager of product security. So any of the levels of product security you have, if you're a developer who wants to get into security, we've got a role for you. And then I have another role that's not quite open yet, but should be open this week for a GRC analyst helping us work on SOC 2 compliance, ISO compliance, vendor risk management, policy standards, all that good stuff. Um, and that's a more entry-level role. If you're, if you're looking for a, a leg into the industry, that might be a spot for you. Uh, the Doyle Group is looking for a director of cybersecurity CISO. Uh, GHR is hiring a senior information security officer. CenturyLink is looking for a lead information security engineer. And that's all in caps, so I think they really mean it, or they're angry. Both. Uh, Spectrum is hiring a or security engineer three, senior security risk assessment engineer. It's a long title. Yes, it is. IHS Market is looking for a cybersecurity assessor specialist. Excel Energy is hiring a cybersecurity engineer. Ibotta is looking for an infrastructure security engineer. And finally, Conversant, our local ethics and compliance software company, is hiring an application security engineer. Get to work with Cole Krems over there. Cole's yeah, a good guy. That would be cool. All right. Well, that I think that's it for the, the, uh, the newscast this week. Next, we have our feature interview, which is us. us. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but it's us talking from the keynote stage at RMISC. You'll, you'll see us start off with kind of an introduction to what is Colorado Equal Security for, I think, about 10 minutes or so. And then we go jump over into an interview with the CISO for the state of Colorado, Debbie Blythe. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Glad we got to do it. And I'm looking to uh, excited to listen to it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, I am Justin Cohen, VP of Security at MedKeeper. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. I don't hear Hi. I hear you. Do you, hear you guys hear me now? Welcome to Colorado Equal Security, maybe? No? Now we're good? Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is our, uh, this is our inaugural live podcast. We're excited to share with you guys. Uh, we have, uh, we've been doing a podcast here in the, in, the, in the community for a little while. And we're for our listeners at home, this is episode 121. It's a couple of years, right? Um, for, for those of you here, it's our first time doing this, so we're excited. I'm Rob Reck. I am the, uh, the Chief Information Security Officer for Ping Identity. And I'm Alex Wood. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Pulte Financial Services, and together we host Colorado Equals Security. Yeah. Uh, we, we are excited. We're going to get to share a little bit of who we are and what we're doing here. Uh, we're excited a little bit later. We're going to do an interview with the CISO for the state of Colorado, Debbie Blythe. Debbie's here up front. Um, before we do that, though, let's talk about what is Colorado, Colorado Equals Security. Yeah, so Rob and I have been involved in the community here for a long time. If you've been to this conference before, you've probably seen us. Uh, we were both prior presidents of the ISSA. And you know, we spent a lot of time seeing how great the community was in Colorado, but we also realized that you know, there were a lot of different areas of the community that maybe weren't communicating with each other. Yeah, so if you guys, has anyone moved to Colorado and tried to get involved with security here? 
Yeah, a lot, a lot of hands going up. It's hard to see in the back of the room. A lot of folks have done that. If you came here more than a year or two ago, it was incredibly difficult to figure out how do I get plugged in. And that, that was a problem that we identified. And we said, let's make it easy because there's so much already going on in town. Let's make it easy for someone to learn uh, what the community looks like and how to get involved. What's the right way to do that? But we also knew that there were a lot of organizations already out there and a lot of things going on. So we didn't want to uh, you know, create more meetups or you know, more content necessarily. We wanted to be that umbrella over everything that was going on. So how do we do that? We do that in a few different ways. Obviously, number one, it is a, we, we think of it as a movement. I know it's a podcast, it's a website, but it's really a movement. And what's the goal of the movement? To make Colorado the premier place in the world for, Colorado, for, excuse me, for security jobs, for security talent, and for funding for those companies. We want everyone to recognize Colorado is the number one place for those things. Yeah, so in, in addition, uh, all the things that we have, we have a, a weekly newsletter that we send out, gives you show notes about what's going on, information, uh, you know, on the community, jobs, sorts of all those sorts of things. Uh, we, we have we have a, a website, and on the website there is a calendar of events. You can go see what's going on across all these different groups we're going to talk about. Um, we have uh, the show notes on there. Uh, we have a Slack channel. This yeah. has been pretty exciting. Who's in the Slack channel? Yeah. So we have over 900 people who are who are in our Slack channel doing security just here in Colorado. It's a fantastic way for you to connect with people who you want to get to know, practicing security, and ask them questions that are relevant to you. Yeah, that one wasn't one of the original things that we did, but it turns out that that may be the best thing that we do. Be the best thing. It, it's a constant uh, communication channel for everyone in the area on, on what's going on. And speaking of the Slack channel, if you can go to the website colorado-security.com, click on the Slack. Uh, button there to join and there's a, an RMISC channel when we're interviewing Debbie we're gonna be taking some questions from that slack channel to ask Debbie so if you go in there and ask questions we may pull your question to ask her yeah so another thing that we've started doing recently is we do a salary survey we're helping both security leaders and ind individual contributors get an idea what does the salary look like across the industry that's open right now if you go out to the Colorado-security website uh, get involved and if you if you contribute you get the results of that survey right back to you it's just one way we're trying to help bring the community together and and finally we do this podcast uh, you know this is the first time Rob that we are we're recording this in, in front of a live audience. Usually we're in Rob's basement, uh, so this is a little bit different. Um, but you know, we, have, we do this every week. Uh, the, the podcast is a news segment section followed by an interview, and we've got 120 episodes and counting. So yes. All kinds cool. of interesting folks in the community. We've had founders of security companies. We've had a bunch of different CISOs and security practitioners. We've had uh, just other interesting folks from the community. Uh, it's been a really cool thing. Yeah, so as we mentioned, uh, in that podcast, you know, we have a couple sections. First, you know, we, we start out with news, uh, talk about, you know, current events for the week. And one thing that, uh, as an example, we wanted to highlight, last week there was a story in the Colorado Sun, which is a, a new news outlet here in town, talking about Colorado's uh, effort to try and get veterans into the cybersecurity workforce. Yeah, so Tamara Chung, she was previously a reporter for Denver Post. She did a really cool story talking about how, you know, obviously we all know that there's a shortage of talent to fill all the security jobs out there, about how there are lots of organizations that are looking to bring veterans in, and they highlighted local security company SecureSet as one of those who's doing it. And, and it actually kind of read like a like they had sponsored it. It was such a great fit for them with the problem. Uh, good, good stuff to see, and really a good way for us to show what's what's happening in security in the state. Yeah, and they also talked about some of the efforts that are happening in Colorado Springs, uh, trying to get veterans uh, coming out of the military down there into the workforce as yeah. well. 
So each week we also do, uh, we, we call it the Slack message of the week. And each week we try and identify one person who's really contributed something interesting from the Slack channel. And we have uh, just like this awesome supporter, I don't know, Andre Gator, are you in the room somewhere? Yeah, let's, let's clap for Andre. Yeah. So, so Andre, just on his own, has been sponsoring this Slack message of the week every week for the last year and a half, where whoever we pick gets, a, gets to have a piece of swag from the Colorado Equal Security Store. So we thought this is a little different. Rather than doing a Slack message of the week in front of all you guys, we'd like to talk the, the Slack messenger of the year, the person who's been the, the best contributor to the Slack channel over the year, helping drive community, really helping uh, give us good information there. Yeah, and so uh, we wanted to recognize Douglas Brush, who's sitting yeah, here in, in the front row as, as yeah. our, uh, as so our, you know, our biggest slacker. That's got a little, little token of appreciation for him. So we get to so piece, Dublin, a nice, Douglas. sweet piece of Colorado Equal Security swag. Yes. And, and also, since we're mentioning him, uh, you know, Douglas does run the second best podcast <laughs> about security in Colorado. So One, cybersecurity interviews, two. check that out too. When we started the podcast, there was only two podcast security podcasts in the state. I think there's like six or seven now yeah. or something. But we're, we're still number one. <laughs> Douglas. Yes. 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 Uh, we, also, we also talk about events on yeah. the podcast. So we have a, a combined event calendar on the website. We talk about what's happening that week, uh, actually for the next two weeks. But I'd say two things about that. Number one, if you want to know what events you can go to in the area, this calendar of events takes us out all the way through the end of the year. Um, and if you're looking to schedule an event in the area, maybe look at, look at the calendar and see if you're about to schedule over the top of other stuff that's going on. Yeah, and we, we aggregate events from many, many different organizations here in town. We wanted to highlight a couple of those. Uh, so ISSA, both uh, Denver, uh, Northern Colorado, which is in Fort Collins, and the Colorado Springs chapter, um, you know, they have lots and lots of events, you know, sort of general security focused on, on different areas. Yeah, if you're looking to get involved, we, we want you to know what groups you should be getting involved with. Another one is the CTA, the Colorado Technology Association, not specific specifically security, but a great view of technology across the area. And they have all kinds of good events like, you know, what's, what's blockchain going to mean to us? And, and starting to figure out what is, how is technology going to impact you in security and your business? Also, the ISACA Denver chapter. So, you know, they are traditionally IT audit focused, but have been expanding their scope as well. So we have their events. And yeah, they have monthly meetings as well, right? Yep. Uh, the, the Cloud Security Alliance has a Colorado chapter. They get together, I think, every month um, downtown, and, and they'll be talking, obviously, cloud focused. How do we secure in the cloud? Uh, OWASP, the uh, Open Web Applic Application Security Project, has a chapter here in Denver and in Boulder, and they have uh, monthly meetings, and we get those uh, events on there as well. Yeah, so GDPR Meetup, Carlin, I know Carlin's here somewhere, I think. Uh, they meet on a regular basis, I think it's monthly, to really talk about what is the impact of privacy. And it's GDPR Meetup right now, but as they look at CCPA and other privacy regulations coming down the pike, it's going to be a really good way for you to understand how privacy is going to impact you. Uh, SecureSet, who has uh, several offices around the area, they have a lot of events. We get those on the calendar, lots of entry-level kind of events, capture the flags, uh, learning the basics. Uh, so if you're someone trying to get into cybersecurity, looking at their events is a great idea. And finally, the Women in Security Group, which is a special interest group from ISSA Denver, uh, they get together, I don't know, is it once a quarter, I think, maybe a little bit more. Um, this is a fantastic group. It's only a couple of years old, and uh, they've had over 100 people at, I think, all of their events are just about. Um, really a fantastic group for enabling women in the security industry. And guys, that was just a small sample of all the groups that show up on the calendar. There's so much you guys can get involved with here in town. We'd, we really like bringing that to you. The final portion of our news segment every week talks about jobs. So we go out and we find some interesting jobs that are out there. 
um, talk about them in, in the podcast, uh, get links to them so that you can find them. And it, and it seems like just about every week, um, you know, Rob has a job that he's trying to hire for. So we, we usually end up with, with some ping jobs in the podcast. Well, so if you're looking to be a product security <laughs> manager at Ping Identity, it's open right now. Uh, we'd love to, love to have you guys uh, reach out to me, and, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. Yeah. So that's what takes us to the end of our news segment. So, um, so we have a little bit of a break. Yeah. After the break, we're going to come back and we're going to interview Debbie. But during the break, we're going to hear from someone special. Come on up. So I'm just up here doing their transition for them. So if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know what I'll say. Uh, James Carter, Chief Security Officer for Logarithm. Uh, welcome to Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Uh, for those that never heard of Logarithm, uh, I think Gartner classifies us as a SIM, but really we're a full stack platform for the modern SOC. And uh, everything from you know, getting access and visibility to your data to telling you when bad things are happening to your environment to empowering you to actually go do something about it quickly uh, and effectively. Uh, and for me as a chief security officer, the ability to detect and respond to things quickly and effectively is the difference between an incident and a breach, otherwise known as me keeping or not keeping my job. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, I'll turn it back to Rob and Alex for their feature interview with Debbie. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks, James. And shout out to Logarithm for being one of the premier sponsors of the conference here. And a Colorado security company. Yes, exactly. We have a great ecosystem here in town. All right. So, Debbie, we're excited to get to know you. We're going to talk about your job as the CISO of the state of Colorado. But before we do that, we really want to know a little bit more about you. I understand, I've heard a rumor that you love to travel. A lot of people love to travel, but you've gone to some interesting places. So yeah. I'm going to ask you a, a two-part question. What's the worst and best experience you've had traveling? Wow. Um, I could probably talk about a lot of worst and best, um, but I think I could cover um, both in one trip. Um, so my husband and I went to Morea in Tahiti um, several years ago. And first of all, we flew into Papayete, and then you land at like midnight, and we rented a car, and apparently that's not a common thing to do in Tahiti. So we rented a car, it's called a Twingo. It's the smallest car you've ever seen. Um, it had two seats in the front and then like a little open area in the back. It looked like it was probably supposed to have a back seat, but didn't. Um, and so we piled all our luggage in there, and um, then we drove, we're supposed to catch a ferry to go over to Morea. And so we drive to the ferry and find out the ferry doesn't leave till six in the morning and this is midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and so we don't have any place lined up to stay. I mean, it didn't occur to us we couldn't get to where we're trying to go. Um, and so my husband said, well, we can't leave the car because everything we own is in the car. And we're driving around in Tahiti and we noticed that there's all these like food truck kind of things, like food stands. And I was like, well, cool, at least we could eat something. And he's like, we're not eating anything. You know, we don't know what this is and we don't want to get sick on day one of trip to Tahiti. Um, so we ended up pulling into the ferry dock. We were going to be first in line for the ferry, park the car, just try to sleep in this little Twingo. Um, so that was, that was kind of crazy. But then when we got there, to Morea, Morea was a fun place, but only fun during the day. Mm. Um, because at night, they have no nightlife at all. So once the sun goes down, everything is just over. 
And so we had brought a DVD player and um, we had to go to the hotel and get like a power converter so that we could play our DVD player. We brought two DVDs. <laughs> and so we watched these team, same two movies over and over and over. Um, and the other thing that happened there, so this is still worst experience, I guess, um, is that we discovered the locals, you know, it's a French island. And so the locals love bread, and every day we would see people walking down the road with bread, loaves of bread, and we're like, where'd they get the bread? So we would go back to where they came from, and the bread's all gone. So we missed the bread every single day for several days until we narrowed down that window of when bread might be available. So we went, and we thought we're going to be smart, and we bought two loaves. We don't buy two loaves, because we ate one loaf. And then we tried to put the other loaf away overnight, and we ended up with ants all in our condo. Like they, this whole line of ants coming in that went up onto the cabinet and up onto the, into the kitchen where the loaf of bread was. So that was pretty crazy. That was a VRBO that we really didn't know what we were getting. Into. Not so good. So, so it sounds like a, a bad beginning, but how did it turn yeah. out? Yeah. But um, so in our little Twingo, we discovered um, we liked to pick up hitchhikers. So we this would get drive, worse. Yeah, drive around the island of Morea. Now, this is my husband, who's very you know, risk adverse, um, who says, look, there's a hitchhiker. Let's pick him up. <laughs> so we would pick up hitchhikers because we would learn so much about what to do. Like We learned about this little motu, this little island that you could go to and spend the day on. We learned about this place that you could go up that had this amazing view. We learned about fruit you should eat. So we learned so much by picking up hitchhikers, but of course we didn't have a back in the, I mean, back seat. So they would just kind of sprawl out in this, you know, back area. And I mean, but it was really a fun, it was such an adventurous trip and it was probably our most adventurous trip um, that kind of got us into being a little out of our comfort zone and, and set us up for some more adventurous trips, I think. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. So, Debbie, you are the CISO for the state of Colorado, but you haven't been the CISO forever. So what was it you were doing before you got to the state of Colorado? Yeah, so um, I started my career in IT for a company that was called Covia. Then it became Galileo. Then it became Travelport. Um, and I did all kinds of things in IT. I started as a mainframe tape operator. Um, I worked in automation, I worked in network, I worked in the Unix team. Um, that's where I fell in love with security and then eventually be, um, ended up managing the security organization at Travelport. Um, from there I went to Teletech and I managed their security organization for five years. Um, and then from there I came to the state of Colorado. What was it that made you make that move? Obviously going from Teletech to the state of Colorado, that's, that's a big change. Yeah. What was the motivation for you? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it just seemed so random, like at the moment is, you know, I saw this job that was posted for the state of Colorado for CISO. And the more I read that job description, I kept thinking, gosh, it sounds like they're looking for me. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to my husband. I said, what do you think of this job? And he goes, man, that sounds like you. Um, and so, you know, I was so excited to apply because um, security is just something I'm so passionate about. I think I'll spend my entire career doing security. But the opportunity to do my career passion in service for the residents of the state that I love, and I'm a Colorado native, 
um, just seemed like I couldn't think of anything more, you know, more rewarding than that. So, you know, when I applied, then I started bugging them right away about, you know, well, I applied. I know you're looking for me. When are you going to hire me? Um, and so eventually they, eventually they. You badgered them into it, yeah, you're telling me? I think so, yeah. I guess everyone looking for a job. That's, yeah. That's yeah. how it works. Call them every day. <laughs> I, I know people appreciate that, being called every day, asking if, if you're ready to, to hire them. Hire me. Yeah. 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 So, so what's it been like working at the state? And, and how long have you been there now? Yeah, so I've been there almost five years. So it'll be five oh. years in August. Yeah. Um, so it's been awesome because... Um, you know, one of the reasons I went to the state is because Colorado is a very, very innovative state. And in fact, Colorado state government has won numerous awards for, you know, innovative solutions, for upgrading old technology, for embracing public cloud or cloud infrastructure, um, for being uh, an implementer on the Salesforce application, so applications on the Salesforce platform. Um, so just a lot of innovation. I was really excited to be able to, um, you know, to be a part of all of that innovation. But I also have had an opportunity to work with amazing people that, honestly, when sometimes when you work in private sector, and certainly before Colorado equals security, and you weren't getting us all together, like I didn't even know this whole public sector community existed. And so to be able to work with really amazing people, both in my organization, but other state government agencies, um, local governments, um, Colorado National Guard. I mean, just really amazing security folks that have been, you know, people that I can learn from and people that I can work closely with. It's just been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Do I remember correctly that you came in just before Hickenlooper's second term as governor? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you've had the chance to have his, his whole second term and, and starting on Governor Polis's term now. Could you give any kind of comparison between, you know, what was it like to work for Governor Hickenlooper and what it is like for Governor Polis? Yeah, so it's still pretty new. So um, I'll start with Hickenlooper and then I'll tell you a little bit about Governor Polis yeah. as well. But, um, you know, obviously Governor Hickenlooper was passionate about cybersecurity and he was a visionary for the National Cybersecurity Center. Um, I took an economic development trip with him out to California to do, you know, to visit a lot of cybersecurity companies and really got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, just really appreciated, definitely appreciated his interest in and his passion for cybersecurity. Um, and I just felt like it was so helpful for my program. Hmm. Um, additionally, when we implemented two-factor authentication for our Google platform um, for G Suite, um, he was the first to help me pilot two-factor authentication, uh, and then he was a champion, you know, and he said to his department heads, he said, I implemented it, and I'm not going to tell you that I didn't notice it, Debbie, but I will tell you that you're all going to implement it. And it was so helpful because, because with his support, we were able to implement for 100% of the accounts, not a single one received an exception. Um, and no one dared push back. If the governor himself was using it, why would they yeah. refute it? So next time one of you are trying to push out MFA in your company and someone yeah. says it's too hard, get, maybe, get maybe you got a good example. <laughs> well, I mean, you already have the governor. The governor already did it, right? That's the yeah. story That's right. we share. That's right. Um, and so I'm really excited about Governor Polis as well. So he's new, just started his position in January, so just a little over 100 days now. Um, but he is a technologist, that's his background. 
Um, so that's gonna, I think, be very, very helpful for the Office of Information Technology because he understands technology. But the other thing is that he's a big proponent and supporter of cybersecurity. And so one of the things that he directed our agency is you will set one of your strategic goals around cybersecurity, around creating a plan to continuously improve cybersecurity. And so I was like, yeah. jackpot. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited for his support as well. You mentioned your program and some of the initiatives that you've done. I know, you know, being in government, it's a little bit different than the, the the, uh, the private sector, and also, you know, you have a whole bunch of different departments that you oversee and sort of consult with, so I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, how your department works and the things yeah. that, that you do. Yeah, so the Governor's Office of Information Technology, or OIT, we call it, um, is responsible for um, technology and infrastructure for 17 executive branch agencies of state government. Um, so these are all the agencies that you think of, you know, revenue, public safety, human services, um, transportation, corrections, all of those, um, where we provide all of the technology and also security. So we set st security strategy. Um, we also um, have a security operations center that manages all of the security infrastructure across all of those agencies. Um, and monitors for alert, alerts and responds to security events, all of that. So we are, it's basically what we call a centralized state. Very nice. So I'm gonna jump over and take one from the Slack channel, uh, specifically the one about the election security. Could you compare and contrast the election security posture of Colorado to that of other states? Oh, that is a great question. Thank you for uh, whoever This from Anthony, that. is it Faf? Maybe Anthony Faf? Thank you, Anthony. Um, so Colorado is absolutely a leader in the nation in election security. And I take no credit, I'm almost not even involved in that. Um, so Trevor Timmons is their CIO and Rich Slipe up until recently was their CISO. For the Secretary of State. For Secretary of State, yeah. for Colorado Department of State. Um, and they have really put a lot of thought into election security, making sure that you know, there's a way to verify and then verify again. Um, a lot of good, they work with the counties to put a lot of good processes in place, but then they also do a lot of um, penetration testing and other types of testing to make sure that their equipment is certified and solid. Um, and so going into, you know, the last election cycle, we were so confident, presidential election, um, we were just so confident that the issue that we would have around you know, election security is just reassuring the public that the only problem we could potentially have if there's any kind of a cyber incident is maybe a delay in tallying all the votes, but that it, you know, there wouldn't be any risk of the votes aren't accurate, there's not integrity in the results or anything like that. 100% um, confident, and it's just so awesome to be able to relay that message to our governor, um, to be able to assure the Secretary of State that, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Um, and then it was really exciting, too, because they um, allowed my team and other teams, like Colorado National Guard and Emergency Operations Center, to have kind of a view into what's going on on Election Day. And so, you know, during the election, I was actually watching transactions as they were, you know, I could see the peak time of the transactions and drop off and peak and drop off. And so I was watching it the whole day. 
And I remember when I came home and I was kind of late that night and my husband said, have you seen what's going on with the election? And I said, yeah, I've been watching it all day. It looks like this and like this and like this. He's like, no, I mean results. I was like, well, I don't care about results. I, I don't want transactions. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was fun to be a part of, even though I'm not necessarily responsible for so, it. So Debbie, I think you're being a little bit more modest than, well, I've talked to Rich Slipe about it, and he certainly has, has been very appreciative of the collaboration that they've had. Uh, between the Secretary of State and your office, and they don't have nearly the staff that you have over at yeah. the state of Colorado and OIT. Um, certainly, I know you guys have given a lot of resources for them, as, especially, like you said, during the election itself. So yeah. Thanks a lot yeah. for doing that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that election security is so good and that we haven't had any incidents around that. But you guys did experience an incident recently uh, at CDOT. So I was wondering if you could sure talk did. a little bit about that, what happened there, and, yeah. and, and how you guys responded. So that was February of 2018, so February of last year. Um, we, so Colorado Department of Transportation was a victim of a SamSam ransomware attack. So it was February 21st. Um, I'll never forget that day or that date. Um, you know, hundreds of calls to the help desk with pop-up screens on people's workstations saying, I've got this message about, sorry, your files are encrypted. You gotta pay this ransom in Bitcoin. Um, we had all of our, you know, the CDOT business applications were failing, the databases were locked up. Um, it basically encrypted about 1,300 workstations across CDOT's business operations, about almost 400 servers, all of their applications failed. Um, it, it was a bad day. Um, I can imagine. And so we started, you know, assembling a team to get together. And actually, we didn't even really know the scope of it because CDOT had sent out a message to all of their staff saying, turn off your computers. You know, we've got a malware infection, turn off your computers. So at this point, we don't even know how big it is. Um, so we started troubleshooting. Um, we, after about a week, we felt like we were in a good spot. We felt like we, you know, had the right, you know, I don't know, anti-malware, signatures in place and you know all of the right controls in place. We had taken down the network. We had you know fixed all the holes that we were aware of um, and started bringing systems back online, actually walking around the building, physically turning workstations on. Um, so overnight that night, um, and actually when we came in the next morning, you know, we left feeling very victorious. We're good, we've got this, we're on a path to recovery now came back in the next morning and found new attacker activity all over the network, new instances of malware. We weren't 100% sure at that time if it was the same or if it was different. Um, and that's when I escalated to Office of Emergency Management. And I did it for one reason, which was to get the Colorado National Guard involved. Because we do exercises with them twice a year where we um, you know, exercise a response to a simulated cyber event, and these guys are just phenomenal cyber warriors. And we have a, a computer network defense team in Colorado, and then a um, computer protection, and I'm getting the words wrong, but it's, it's more of an advanced team, too. So we've got, a, we've got an awesome team, and we have an even awesomer team <laughs> <laughs> um, in Colorado. And so I, I reached out to Office of Emergency Management and said, okay, I need the guard. Um, and they were ready because we'd been keeping them informed and the Guard was ready. The very next day, they were on site. Um, and so Colorado National Guard came in in civilian clothing. They didn't want to intimidate our team, sat down beside us and helped, and really helped us to create a battle plan 
um, on how to really find all the holes, get rid of all the malware, you know, contain it. Um, we built a test network and we brought clean systems onto that te test network and then we brought on, um, you know, systems that we knew were infected, turned them on on the network and we were able to prove that our tools could contain instances of malware if we found additional ones. Um, and so that was, that was instrumental for us to being able to actually recover at that point. So we spent about two weeks containing and eradicating the malware and then two weeks restoring CDOT back to about 80% functionality. Um, and then restoration to 100% continued for a couple of weeks after that. But we did bring CDOT back faster than they even thought was possible. Yeah. How many people did you have total involved in that response effort? We had at one time 135 people on site. Wow. Um, so we actually moved into CDOT's headquarters into their auditorium brought tables and chairs in and then put teams together of, you know, we had our network team, we had our security team, we had our endpoint team, we had our, you know, various teams, system administrators. Um, we had four different tools vendors on site. We had a professional incident response team. We had Office of Emergency Management, Colorado National Guard. Um, we had Department of Homeland Security. We had um, um, the U.S. CERT hunt and incident response team. We had FEMA, they showed up. We had the FBI, I mean, we had a lot of people there. So it was a huge operation, huge response. Hmm. What would you say coming out of that was your biggest lesson learned? What do you get from this? Yeah, so, um, so there are a couple things that I tell, there's two, there's two things that I like to balance. One is, it's, it's a good news story in that we had good network segmentation in place, um, that it, it infected all of CDOT's business operations, but it never affected traffic operations. So it was not ever a life safety issue. Um, they were segmented off. Um, their, uh, the security controls in place between the two networks caught the malware. Um, and then traffic ops just went and unplugged the network. They said, we're not letting it in. Um, additionally, we had good segmentation between CDOT's business operations and the rest of the state. So this malware did not bleed over into the rest of the state. Um, so that was one th good news story. The other good news story is we had good backups in place that we were 100% confident in. Mm. Um, so we knew, we had gone through a project that we called Backup Colorado, and we we're confident that 100% of our production servers across the state were being backed up and that we would, could recover and that those backups were secure and offline. And so um, we, you know, we never considered paying the ransom. Hmm. Um, now the one big lesson that we learned from a security standpoint that has kind of fed into my strategy at this point is that we are not executing fast enough on our security projects. So when we looked at how the ransomware got in, how the ransomware propagated, and all of the controls that were missing that would have allowed us to detect and respond. Um, we had all these great projects already underway. We had the right strategy. We were headed in the right direction. They just, a project that is a great project that's in a project plan but not completed gives you no value during a security incident. Um, and so, in fact, we had acquired an endpoint tool that would have actually detected and stopped the ransomware, 
that we were due to deploy the week after. So we were executing according to a project plan, kind of agency by agency. We'd implemented about four agencies. CDOT was next. We were going to implement them the week after. Um, and this ransomware event hit. So when that happened, we just threw out the project plan and pushed it just broadly throughout the state. Um, and we actually implemented a number of things that had been in progress for a while that we just kind of said, sorry, security incident, got to protect the state, and you know, pushed it out. So that's something that you know, our projects, our security projects, get kind of caught up in all of the other infrastructure projects for all of those 17 executive branch agencies. And so what I've determined is I need to bring in dedicated resources to actually complete those security projects. I just can't, you know, I can't afford four years to go by and we've just taken little incremental steps. So, you know, we've heard about a lot of breaches that are, are similar to the CDOT breach in other places, you know, the city of Atlanta, yeah. Baltimore, uh, lot, lots of other places like that that have, have seen lots of ransomware attacks. Yeah. But what do you think w was different? What made uh, the response that you guys have had better? Because, you know, I've seen the stories on those and it's, yeah. you know, multi-million dollar responses, um, as far as I know, Baltimore isn't even completely back up yet, and no. it's been weeks. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what, what is it that you guys did that was different, or, or how did you prepare yeah. so that you could respond so much better than them? Yeah, I think having that network segmentation in place helped a ton. Um, having backups that we were confident in helped a ton. Um, but also having good partnerships in place to where, you know, we've practiced our incident response, we have a good plan, we update it, you know, every time we practice, we update it. Um, and just having those partnerships in place to where you could reach out and get that help immediately and already know how you're going to work together. Because part of when you bring in even a vendor for incident response, you're establishing who's in charge, who's going to take this, who's going to do that. We already had all that worked out. You know, when, they, when the National Guard showed up, we already knew how that was going to work. Um, and we could just roll up our sleeves and get to work. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is having those partnerships in place. Yeah. So we have a couple more questions in the Slack channel. Um, the first one, which looks like an interesting one, you know, we were talking about uh, election security previously. Um, this is uh, Dustin Lair. Do you think online voting will ever be possible in the state of Colorado? I think that it will at some point. I think I am confident that it's something that the Department of State is looking into, and certainly there is some population like, I think, overseas military who have the ability to vote remotely, um, currently using, I think, paper ballots, right. and they have a longer window of time. But I believe they will be the first use case for potential online voting. I got another one from the Slack channel from Chris Perkins. I'm going to reword it a little bit. Do you, do you think at all about zero trust? Is that a, a concept that you're trying to incorporate? It's okay. So what does zero trust mean to you at the state of Colorado, and, and how do you imagine that you know, being yeah. realized there? Yeah, so um, I, I wouldn't say we have a complete vision for that yet, but we're kind of chunking away at pieces that are meant to get us there. Um, so implementing two-factor broadly for everything, um, and you know, there are probably people who are listening right now going, what did she say? <laughs> because I've told them, you know, all remote access, that's how we're starting, and then you know, all Google access, and pretty soon it'll be all cloud access, and then pretty soon it'll be all, um, we're already working on privileged user access. Um, eventually it will be all access, period. So in other words, we're not trusting passwords anymore. Um, devices, we know, 
you know, we don't have enough controls to determine is it, is it our device, is it somebody else's device. Um, so we need to get better at device control. And then we also need to recognize that, you know, we may not have the right types of controls on those devices. So we need to be looking at, you know, what controls are on the devices, whether it's our device or somebody else's device. You know, is it up to date on all of its patches? Has it been jailbroken? Has it, you know, um, so that we're kind of, we're starting to put all those pieces in place because I do believe that we're not, I mean, you can't trust the internal network, right? You can't trust that all the devices on it are yours. Um, you can't trust that you know everything. Um, you can't always trust that the user, you know, certainly we know with all of the password breaches, we can't trust that a password authenticated user. So um, we're working in that direction. So what I think I heard you say was you're moving your controls away from like a network-based, environmental-based controls to having strong identity, per, uh, Authentication, strong authentication, two-factor authentication, and then endpoint controls. So we really trust the configuration in the device itself. That's a good summary for where you think it's going. And network, network controls. Yeah. Okay. So that we. So it so has that, to be those devices. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And that we, yeah. I mean, my vision is is kind of you know the the typical NAC solution where if if it pops up on the network and it's my device and it meets my standards, it gets this level of access. And if pops up on the on the network and I don't know who it is or it doesn't meet my standards, it gets it gets sent another path. Sure, yeah. So, so uh, another uh, question from the Slack channel, I'm gonna reword a little bit also. So yesterday we had an all day session on privacy. Privacy is becoming a, a bigger and bigger topic. Um, is that an area that's under your purview and how do you view privacy in relation to security uh, at the state of Colorado? Yeah. So, um, the agencies actually own privacy at the state. So um, each agency who um, you know, collects data that's in scope for any privacy regulations, they have their own privacy officer and they own that program. Um, however, with NIST uh, 853-REV5, the privacy controls are more interwoven into the security controls. And so, I mean, I recognize that technology has a role to play um, and so we'll be rewriting our policies to make sure we're kind of weaving in those privacy requirements as it makes sense, as it applies to technology. Um, but our state does not have like a chief privacy officer. There's about maybe 25% of states that do right now. Um, it's becoming more common, but right now the way that we're running it is each agency is responsible for determining what information they collect and how they're gonna handle uh, privacy for their agency. Sounds like we need to reach out to the governor and get him to hire a chief privacy officer also. Could be. Uh, one more, at least one more Slack channel question. Clay Parker asked if you could elaborate on how you're doing two-factor. Is that a, a hardware or software solution? Um, it is not a hardware solution. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it's a service. So one additional question from the Slack channel. So what are, what are some unique challenges that you see in the public sector um, versus, I guess, the private sector? So, you know, pay scale, um, resources, you know, what, yeah. how has that been different and, and how have you looked at those challenges? Yeah, that is a great question, um, especially you bring up pay scale. Um, we are having a really hard time keeping individuals in our security operations center. Um, keeping individuals on our firewall team. In fact, when the CDOT incident happened, we were really hurting because we had all, 
our entire firewall, firewall team had just departed. Um, and so we just didn't have the familiarity with the state firewalls and with the infrastructure the way we had only a few months earlier. Um, and so we were bringing in new people and training them, but we have this problem where we bring in new folks, we train them, they, just when they start to really understand the state environment um, and they get all those certifications and credentials under their belt, they move on into the private sector where they tell me, you know, I can make so much more money and I get all these other benefits. And um, so it's been really, really hard. That has been the number one, I think, most difficult thing. Hmm. Um, the second thing that I was a little, you know, maybe taken aback by was um, the fact that when you centralize IT for 17 executive branch agencies, it's a little bit like running IT or running security for 17 distinctly separate companies. And so if you think about company priorities, you would have maybe you know, two or three important projects at any given time that you're running for the company and you're balancing those across the full company. But when it's 17 distinctly different companies, we've got, let's say, if, even if we had only two or three important projects for each agency, which I tell you it's a long list, um, that still you extrapolate that across 17 agencies and you give it all to one IT department to say go and do. And the problem is we're time slicing in such small increments that it's really hard to get things done. And that's where I'm really suffering from a security standpoint mm -hmm. is you know, they have all their, you know, each agency has their 10 priority projects, so that's, you know, 1,700 projects. Uh, what, wait, that's not good math. <laughs> Feels like 1,700 projects. Um, and then I throw in a bunch of security projects as well, and, you know, and everybody agrees, you're right, this is high priority, this is top priority, this is urgent, and we'll get it done with everything else that's urgent, and all of this is. Um, so that's what I was really surprised about is how thin for resources we are. Well, we have just a couple more questions for you and then we're gonna, we're gonna let you go and people can go have fun. There's more drinks, I believe. Okay. Um, what is the biggest thing that you want to accomplish over the next couple of years? Yeah, so I'm really excited about fiscal year 20, which starts July 1st. So our fiscal year is July through June. Okay. Um, but I have got a lot of security projects teed up. Um, so one of the things that I mentioned is we haven't been executing fast enough. I was able to take that in front of the legislature and say, you know, I need funding to finish all these projects that we have in flight that are not helping us until we get them completed. And so they actually gave me money for fiscal year 20. I'm actually doubling my budget for one year wow. um, where I will be able to bring in resources and, you know, fill all those known gaps in our environment, complete all those projects that are in progress, and just kind of make probably the biggest one-year impact that we've ever seen from a security improvement standpoint for the state. Um, so I'm kind of fastening my seatbelt and getting ready for this. But I will tell you, I feel a little bit like I've bit off more than I can chew potentially because always before when I go to the legislature with an ask, you know, we start that process like a year before it comes to fruition, probably 18 months before. Um, and I always start with a huge ask, and it always gets narrowed down to a you know a reasonable size ask. Um, well, this year they gave me everything I asked for, 
And I was like, okay, so now we have to deliver on that. So be careful what you wish for, right? Exactly. So next exactly. year when you show up to RMISE, you're going you're gonna to have a great story about what's happened or you're going to be too exhausted to talk. Yeah, or, or both. They, yeah, or both. something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, th that's awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing about those accomplishments. Uh, what does the, the future hold for you personally? For me personally, well, um, you know, my husband asked me that too because <laughs> when I came to the state, I said, I'm going to be there four years. I, you know, I'm, I've committed to four years. I'm going to do four years. Um, and every CISO in my role before me has done two. So I told him, it's like two terms as a CISO. You know, I'm going to do double. <laughs> um, and then I'm probably going to go back to private sector. Well, so at the end of four years, he's like, so do you think you're going to leave? And I was like, what? Why would I leave? You know, I love what I'm doing. Um, so, and then, of course, I have all these projects I'm really excited about. So I'm going to, you know, see them through. And then probably at some point in my life, I think, I'll go back to private sector. Um, but I don't know right now when that is, and it's probably not in, in the next year. <laughs> well, Debbie, it, we, you have an entire community of people behind you. We want you to be successful. Let us know whatever we can do to help you. Thank you. Thanks to Debbie. Thank you. Thank, thank you for taking on that job. Um, I know it's not the job that would get you paid the most, but I think you're probably doing the most good you possibly can, so thank you so well, thank much. Thank you. So uh, before we wrap up, Debbie, is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't ask you about? I don't, I can't think of anything. I can't, I should have been prepared for that question, but no, I can't think of anything and I appreciate your support. I appreciate the support of the community and all of my peers. Um, I love it when I can go into, you know, any leader's office and say, well, here's, here's an issue we're struggling with and here's an issue that the community at large is struggling with. It, it helps so much and it gives credibility when I say, you know, we're implementing this project because that's what all my peers are doing. So. Um, so, yeah, I just appreciate the community involvement. So thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate you being here. We love what you're doing. Um, and we look forward to hearing about this again in a year. Awesome. So, Sounds good. Thanks. Let's give her more, one more round of applause for Debbie. <laughs> and that's all we have for you. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been Colorado Equal Security, and we're, we're going to sign off till next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.